What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Please hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can do the same on Facebook and also follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Today, we are going to have a wide-ranging discussion on the mighty Deep Purple, not only one of the founding bands of the heavy metal genre, one of the most influential bands of the genre, but also a band that produced numerous offshoots that also went on to be highly influential. Of course, we're talking about White Snake, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, and many others that we're going to get into today. We'll get to all that, the far-reaching branches of the Deep Purple family tree here in just a bit. But first, I'm Metal Dave Glester. Here's my co-host, Jason McMaster. What's going on, Jason? How are you, man? I'm doing all right, dude. You? Um, is this our 27th episode? It is. Isn't that amazing? 27? I feel like we started this just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we're already up to 27. We're cranking them out, and our producer, Jared, is uh, keeping that whip cracking, and uh, the listeners seem to enjoy it, and there's, you know, some of them are keeping up with it at a fanatical pace, and we love it. So realize, what is our average uh, length of, uh, of these episodes? Hour and a half? Yeah, I think they've, they started off about an hour. I think they've gone to about an hour and a half is probably average about now. Yeah. So we're looking at uh, 90 minutes times 27 minimum. <laughs> I don't do math, man. Yeah, <laughs> but, okay. but that's a whole lot of jibber jabber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we started this, because uh, there's no shortage of jibber jabber when you put me and you together. Well, that's true. No one even has to be around. Like if no one, <laughs> no one even listened or watched this YouTube or no one, no one even listened on, you know, Crapify or whatever, dude, you and I would still have be having a good time talking about useless information that's on the back of record covers. Yeah, this is a normal phone conversation for us. It's true. So, uh, yeah. True. Just put True. a camera in front of us and let her rip. Yeah, so it's kind of <laughs> like everybody <laughs> everybody else who is kind of like, you know, throwing a rope and, and is holding on for dear life, they're just flies on the walls of our existence. Yeah. 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 It's and, awesome. And fortunately, a lot of them are enjoying it. So uh, thank well, you. Well, no, that's, that's what, uh, whenever I hear about things that happened in the rock and roll world, and I'm hearing about it. You, you, it's usually on social media. I hear about so-and-so did a song with da-da-da-da-da. And, hey, I sure would like to talk about music. You know, I see two people, ch you know, chatting or something. I usually chime in and go, hey, can I just be a fly on the wall for that? You yeah. know, so what, whatever sense. scenario it, that, that, whole, that whole thing works. No, I... Um, I wanted to bring that up. I think that that's, that's kind of cool and uh, worthy of mention that, you know, when we started this thing, Jared was kind of like, um, you know, we did one or two and, and it could have even been before we did even one. He was like, he was like, um, so yeah, you got one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Think a hundred episodes. Don't yeah. think like one or two, man, that was fun. That's cool. All right. We're done. No, think like a hundred episodes. Yeah. 
it was a it was a pretty daunting proposition when I first heard it, but the pace we're going, a uh, hundred seems like it's on the horizon already. So. Uh, a couple more weeks, we'll be up to three hundred, <laughs> man. Yeah, we got exactly. nothing. Obviously, we have nothing better to do, <laughs> which is totally not true. I'm busier now than it's not Jared's fault, but I'm busier now than I've ever been. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um. I wanted to mention something. Uh, I got an email the other day from Tim Mosier from Junkyard. And uh, it was my birthday recently and sort of as a birthday gift, I suppose. He he sent me a message on Facebook and he said, check your email. I sent you a present. I got around to my email. I opened it up and it was two brand new Junkyard tracks that he shared with me. And... Um, he swore me to secrecy. I'm not allowed to share them with anybody because apparently I'm the only one outside of the inner circle that's even heard uh, at least one of them. One of the tracks they played out live, but uh, I think I'm the first to have heard the recorded versions of their new songs. And uh, so the update on that is Junkyard is hard at work on a new album. Uh, they're going to continue to uh, work with Acetate Records, which is the label they've been on for their past couple of releases. And the new tracks, one of them is called Last of a Dying Breed, and the other one is called Lifer, and uh, which, by the way, was inspired, at least in title, by you, my co-host. I don't know if you recall, but uh, we were backstage with Junkyard about a year and a half ago when you recorded that Evil in the Q album with uh, Broken Teeth. And they were telling us that they were had this song and they were looking for a title or a theme or something. And they came up with Lifer. And Tim stood right there and told us that it was inspired by you, Jason McMaster, because you are a rock and roll lifer. So there so, you go. So let me get this straight. <laughs> Is 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 it true that you're saying that I influenced Junkyard to title up this song called Lifer? I didn't say it. Tim said it. And you were standing right there when he said he it. He said that he got that title from me. Yeah, you were you inspired the title. You didn't give him the title. You inspired okay. the title. Well, I think that uh, on my one of my Facebook handles it just says instead of like yeah i was in all these cool bands and i'm working with it it just says lifer yeah yeah it's it's very fitting and uh and the tracks sounded great if uh if if anyone uh has the last couple of junkyard releases and you should uh, these two tracks pick up right along where that type of sound was coming from which is an extension of their original sound. That's the beauty of Junkyard. They don't stray too far from what they do. So if you're a Junkyard fan, you're going to like them. Uh, they're going to release these two tracks on a 7-inch first and then sort of as a teaser. And I'm not sure exactly when that's coming out, but before the end of the year, I think. And uh, the, the entire album will come out towards the end of the year. And Junkyard is uh, looking forward to getting back on stage. They have some gigs lined up beginning in August, and I think uh, they've got some additional ones that uh, go towards the end of the calendar year. And uh, think seeing you know we'll see how this COVID thing goes, but uh, it looks like they're picking up momentum in the Junkyard camp. And the first and the first two tracks that I've heard that are new are really good, and people that are fans are going to dig it. 
Right now, uh, Broken Teeth is supposed to do uh, some shows with them in December in Texas, but ah, they told me that, but I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, we're we're uh, we have confirmed at least one of them, but we don't have any dates yet. So yeah, yeah. So hey, that'll be fun. That'll yeah, be the fun. wheels are starting to turn. And, yeah, and I've got a few. <clears throat> I'm I'm uh, excited about it, but I'm also in fear of just being totally out of shape um, for obvious reasons, right? right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I have some dates on the calendar. It, it's good. I've seen them, and uh, I think some of our listeners have as well. They're getting a lot of comments and a lot of, finally, you know, people are excited, you know, not just for you, but for Junkyard and every other band. It's been a long time since we've all seen live music and we're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, it. I just hope everyone stays safe and let this be a lesson to everybody, you know? Yeah, yeah. Let's move into our main topic. It's going to be a long one today, so let's get started. Today, we are talking about Deep Purple, and not just talking about Deep Purple, but maybe more importantly, talking about the far-reaching influence that the band has and uh, obviously Deep Purple, one of the cornerstone bands of the hard rock, heavy metal genre, uh, every bit as important as Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. Um, but besides the music they gave us as Deep Purple, they also are responsible for a number of offshoots, uh, great bands that went on to huge things and were influential in their own right. We're talking, of course, the, the elephants in the room would be White Snake, uh, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, but uh, there's also a lot of other bands that come from the Deep Purple ecosystem, and we're going to get into that today. Yeah, I, let me let me jump in, please, Dave, if you don't mind. Yeah, get started. I just want to uh, this. I don't want this to turn into the Pastor McMaster sermon, but <laughs> it because you guys know me and you know that I could go a long time, so. Listen, I think that this this show idea ultimately spawns from how many times I've just like realized driving down the road, you know, thinking about an, a song or a guitar player or an artist or a bass player or looking through my collection of music or whatever the veins and branches and leaves and all lead back to deep purple. Now I believe there is this like wall poster that you can purchase. It might be out of print, but I've seen it online where it just looks like a, a smear of ink on a poster because the, the words are and names and band names and band ma members and, are so dense and it's a deep purple family tree poster yeah that i've always wanted to get it is like uh, an elder scroll it is it is like it should be like some there sh there needs to be some kind of bible yeah now we're not going to be able to get to all of them that's how dense this thing is going to be right right but i like to and we've talked about this and i've even called it a game where I would say, okay, 
tell me how this is related to Deep Purple. And I say a name of, of a musician. Okay, yeah. let's let's try it. Let's just try it before we even start rolling on on whatever it is we're going to do. This is the idea. And this is kind of the, the how deep the gene pool goes. And this is not even like to a leaf that's on a branch 10 miles that way. This is, I'm still saying this is pretty close to the trunk. Yeah. If I say the name, it, it just tell me as many, uh, so how does this person connect to Deep Purple? It should be fairly easy when I say a name, Cozy Powell. Cozy Powell, one of the great drummers in hard rock and heavy metal. Um, well, let's see. Uh, he was in uh, Rainbow, I know that. And yeah. Uh, Rainbow, the connection obviously is Richie Blackmore, uh, right. but Cozy also went on to play drums uh, for a time in White Snake. Yes, also has a deeper. Saw, saw him on the Slided In tour with White Snake. Yeah, I saw that tour as well, and the connection there, of course, is David Coverdale, who is also in Deep Purple. Mm -hmm. uh, Cozy. Uh, so you just went from Rainbow to Deep Purple through White Snake. Yeah, yeah. Because, because Cozy been... was in White Snake with the singer who used to be in Deep Purple, although Cozy was in Rainbow and David Coverdale was not. We're right. not done with Cozy. Keep going with right. Cozy. Right. See, I'm going to need a roadmap here in a minute, but no, you're good. I just connected the dots, but no, let's but... keep going with Cozy because it's yeah. badass. Cozy also played with uh, the Michael Schenker group. Yes. Um, and the connection there would be Graham Bonnet, who was also at well, one no, time. Well, Gary, no, Gary Barden, actually. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Cozy, Cozy played when Barden was the vocalist. That's, That's right. right. That's um, right. Uh, Graham Bonnet, who was in Rainbow, yeah. um, replaced Dio. See where this is going? You yeah. see how the game has begun? Yeah. I just broke off a twig and threw it over there. And you're like, yeah. whoa, I can't even lift this giant piece of firewood, you know? Yeah. I just do a twig over there. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, yes, Cozy was in the early inceptions of, uh, or, or the, on the early releases of uh, MSG. Right, right. So, yeah, Cozy Powell, uh, of course, uh you know, he, he's played on uh, a number of landmark records. I mean, he played on Rising, uh, Rainbow Rising, which many people consider to be one of the ultimate heavy metal albums of all time. Uh, so that alone puts him in the history books. Uh, but of course, his uh, his resume is much is much broader than that. But OK, let's let so, me so so hold on. So the perfect example. Excellent work, Dave. So we haven't even. <laughs> If you were to like just make a show or have a 30 minute or an hour conversation, there you go, about Cozy, yeah. the life and death of Cozy Powell and everything that he did in between, you could probably fill up an hour. Oh, sure. And he's just the drummer. Not yeah. that I'm dog and drummer, but he's he was the drummer that connected a lot of people to a lot of things. Yeah. And we only mentioned half of the, the projects and bands that he was part of, that he right. was instrumental in uh, getting off the ground, so to speak. Right. And that, that's, that's how far-reaching the, the topic of Deep Purple is when you start stretching it out like that. 
So, so let me let me take a shot. Um, let me go with Jimmy Bain. Who's Jimmy Bain, and what are his connections to Deep Purple? Jimmy Bain was in Rainbow. Uh, when Dio was in Rainbow. Yes, is that correct? He was on the Rising album. Yes, and he may have been on. Was he on uh, uh, Long Live Rock and Roll? I I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know have those. I don't have those facts. But the but the the connection here is that Jimmy Bain didn't only play bass with Ronnie James Dio when Dio went and when Dio quit or left Rainbow to join Black Sabbath. Jimmy Bain probably was still in Rainbow. That's a question. I don't know because I think so, Roger Glover came back at some oh, point. Oh, right. Okay, right. I think that you're <laughs> right. So Roger Glover, who produced Judas Priest, Sin After Sin. Uh, <laughs> there we go. See, the, the spokes and the branches keep going. Anyway, m the point. Uh, Jimmy Bain was doing something, but I don't know what. There's a lot. There's much bigger nerds out there that know Deep Purple better than you and I do all day long, and we're not trying to champion over any Deep Purple uh, uh, historian at all. Our, your archive is not our archive in brain power, so um, we're just being. We're just going to get that off. We will wear all our dum dum on our sleeve all day here. We're just nerding out on the idea of how awesome it is that this that Deep Purple is this sort of like genesis, right? Yeah. Okay, so so Dio joins Black Sabbath, which right. brings Black Sabbath into the gene pool immediately. Yes. Um, they were standing there the whole time anyway. But so um, Jimmy Bain's got to be doing something. I just don't yeah. know. Yeah. Jimmy Bain was doing... Uh, one of the bands he was doing was a band called Wild Horses, which was okay. with Brian Robertson from Thin Lizzy. He was busy oh, in the meantime okay. between. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he Un until he uh, yeah until Dio calls him, going, "Hey, I'm not doing Sabbath anymore. I'm going solo, and you're going to be my bass player." Boom! He's Freaking back. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he, him and Dio are together. You know, Dio and Bane ride ride again. Yeah, uh, in Dio's, and, and it was Holy Diver, and it was a, a kind of a new episode at that by that point. Okay, so when let me ask you this, Dave, and this is a no-brainer. So Dio goes solo, so he leaves Black Sabbath. What happens to Black Sabbath right then and there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they hire Ian Gillen, who used to sing for Deep Purple. <laughs> well, he he never really well, I guess he left. He went he went solo and then joined Sabbath for a record and then went solo again, I think, but he was always still in and out of Deep Purple. Yeah, Ian Gillen, one of the great uh metal vocalists of all time. Uh, obviously uh the you know, he's probably He's certainly best known for the catalog he did with uh, with Deep Purple, uh, but yeah, uh, a few years later, he's fronting Black Sabbath when Dio departed. So uh, yeah, then you've got Ian Gillen back in the gene pool once again, this time with Black Sabbath. So 
there has to be some kind of running joke between the purple and the Sabbath camp between at least a couple of members about how they're just trading singers and yeah. you know it's like they're probably rolling their eyes chuckling at the pub you know <laughs> um, but but it's just part of the of how cool I think that that in this entire uh, family is related yeah. well. Yeah. It's amazing how many times, like you said, you start flipping through your collection, uh, you hear a song on the radio, you start thinking about an individual player, and it really is pretty amazing how often the common denominator turns out to be Deep Purple. So uh, in doing a little research for this episode, I was looking at uh, the history of Deep Purple, and they, you know, they formed in 68, and the original singer was a guy named Rod Evans. And really, the probably the only song that most people will know with him singing is Hush, uh, which is a staple on classic rock radio. And by the way, it, it was a cover tune. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe South. Yeah. And so they did three albums, I think, with, uh, with Rod Evans. Then comes Ian Gillen. And uh, Ian Gillen, I guess you could say, is probably the classic years. Uh, the albums are In Rock, Made in Japan, uh, Fireball, Machine Head, of course. Um, so a body of work with Ian Gillen that's, uh, you know, geez, let's face it, it's every bit as important as, you know, the, the Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath catalogs. And yeah, then yeah. they had another, I want to just interrupt there. Uh, I did some research as well. I mean, I could riff all day about how, uh, you know, there's ways that the Shankers from the, you know, Scorpions and UFO are all related and how everyone's played with everybody else and written songs for, you know, anyway, uh, in the U.S., it was in the U.S. only that Hush was a single, was that charted. Oh. And also, uh, like, the next year, that was 68, between 68 and 70, it was Hush, which is a cover, and another cover only that only charted in U.S. and Canada didn't really do anything in the U.K. Uh, was uh, the Neil Diamond song "Kentucky Woman." Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a trip. Now, yeah. listen, uh, between '74 and '76, Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, yeah, were doing basic vocal duty right. for Deep Purple. When you buy a Greatest Hits Deep Purple album. By the way, we have affiliate links in our description of our show now that you can go down there and click on these and find information for the record or hell, even buy the record if you want. But yeah. the, point, the point here is that between 74 and 76, Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, when you buy a, a like a, a, a Deep Purple, man, you know, I need to get me some Deep Purple. I want to buy a Greatest Hits album is a way, the way to go. And I have a greatest hit CD that I listen to all the time when I just need something, something, some deep purple. Cause it's got all the kick-ass shit on it. Right. Um, it's got a different singer like every other song. Yeah. Because the band has been around as long as, uh, or longer than the Rolling Stones. They've been around for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and by the way, why is Glenn Hughes never mentioned in the conversation of greatest rock singers of all time? Yeah, I mean, he's amazing. I, 
God, that guy's vocals are just insane, man. What was that group that he had? Black Country Communion? Yeah. Did you ever yeah. hear that? I yeah. didn't hear any of the music. I know he had, that was with uh, John Bonham. And John Bonham's kid was playing drums. Jason Bonham. Yeah, okay. Is that right? Luke, Joe Bonamassa, Joe yeah. the blues guy, wasn't he in that band? I think so. And That's I think, a pretty serious band. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm going to jump ahead since you since we're on the subject of uh, of Glenn Hughes because I, I I have a couple I wanted to bring up a couple of uh, what would probably be considered footnotes in this conversation since there's so many giants in this conversation you know uh, the Dio's and the Coverdales um, and the Richie Blackmores and and such but um, since we're talking about Glenn Hughes. Do you recall, did you ever hear the the album by the Hughes Thrall Band? I was just, I knew you were going there. I didn't want to interrupt. So Pat <laughs> Thrall played guitar for a long time with, or I don't know, a long time, you know, with uh, Pat Travers. Correct. And I want to say Mars Cowling, the bassist during that era of uh, a, a, a long, a quite, quite a few um catalog of records with pat the pat travers band um i want to say he was doing some stuff with glenn hughes too i don't know if there's any truth to that but so so anyway hughes thrall i remember seeing a video hearing song i don't even know what years that would have been falling into they did one album it was self-titled it came out in 1982 okay it was just called Hughes Thrall, and it was the Hughes well, Thrall Band. For those of you who don't know, first off, Pat Travers, we could do a whole show on Pat Travers. Yeah. He's one of those San Antonio alumni guys, too. Uh, you know what I mean? Joe Anthony and the whole, like, like oh, he, yeah. get, he got a lot of love in South Texas on 99.5 Kiss. Originally so, from Canada. That's That might be the, the Canadian. From Canada, but everybody thinks, there's the Canadian bands. There we go again. We, yeah, need, we could do, do a part episode. two. <laughs> um, we could do two, we could do two episodes of every episode we've done here because that's the, that's the big nerd <laughs> that you and I are. Um, but, but Pat Travers is this incredible sort of blues, hard rock guitar player Yeah, who always had these kick-ass players with him, even always wasn't afraid to have somebody just as kick-ass or more kick-ass standing right next to him, trading solos back and forth all night long on tour on vinyl Yada, yeah. yada. So yeah. it doesn't shock me at all that Pat Thrall made a record with Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple. Yeah, I remember it uh, again, uh, growing up in San Antonio like I did. Uh, we, again, I'm going to bring up the great Joe Anthony many, many times during this podcast on multiple episodes because uh, he was a DJ that helped probably helped turn San Antonio into the heavy metal capital of the world, as it was known at one point. And I want to say that he was he, he was playing Hughes Thrall because of the pedigree of the band. He knew very well who Glenn Hughes and, and, and Pat Thrall were. And so he was playing, they had a single called The Look in Your Eye. And uh, there was a video for it on MTV and uh, I remember hearing the song on the radio and thinking, this is a catchy tune. It was a little more pop oriented than what you might expect from Pat Thrall and, uh, and Glenn Hughes. 
but a great song nonetheless. And uh, another interesting footnote about that album, a an unknown Frankie Banali played drums on a couple tracks on the Hughes Thrall record. Wow. So so yeah. this is 82, you say? 82, yes. So so Frankie Banali from Quiet Riot plays all the drums or just yeah. some First, first of all, he hasn't played metal. He hasn't done Metal Health yet, so he's still unknown. Basically, when did Metal Health come out? A year later, in '83. Okay, so Frankie is pretty unknown, at least nationwide, uh, at this time. He only played on two tracks on the album, uh, but I thought is, it was interesting. Is Frankie original Quiet Riot drummer? No. Okay. All right. No, he's not. He. He joined on the Metal Health record. Of course, Quiet Riot had the two Japanese albums that came out prior to Metal Health. And I always get the rhythm section mixed up. It was Drew Forsyth and Kelly Garney, I want to say. And off the top of my head, I can't tell you which guy is the bass player and which is the drummer. But to answer your question, no, Frankie Benali is not the original drummer in Quiet Riot. Uh, but he did propel them to the top of the charts with Metal Health. And right, made, and Ru- I'm sorry, and Rudy Sarzo is not the original bass player for Quiet Riot. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's so to finish out, not to make it about Quiet Riot, but right. they, they're players in here. They're already players in here. Multiple people. Randy, Ozzy, Sabbath, Ian Gillen, Born Again, keep going, right? So, yeah. uh, okay, so... And and then Rudy Sarzo, who's not original Quiet Riot, was not only a touring bassist for uh, Ozzy Osbourne, but he was in White Snake. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> this is the reason we have we're having this show. Yeah, okay. it all, it all, all related looks- to all related to Big Mama Bear, uh, Deep Purple. Yeah, so, it all comes it all comes back around. There's a there's a method to all of this madness. So okay. Yeah. So that that automatically even connects, uh, even though they were never in, uh, they were in a band with someone who was in some a band who was with in a band in in all the way back to Deep Purple. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I wasn't even trying to stutter. The whole thing is just (laughs) it's like domino. It's going to be a stutter fest, you know. Yeah, it's a domino effect. It's the whole the whole thing. So, okay, very interesting that. Hughes Thrall, couple songs, Frankie Benali, pre-Quiet Riot, bursting out on the scene. Um, at that at that time, uh, it was Carlos Capazzo, and uh, because Randy was with Ozzy, right, and uh, Sarzo was with Ozzy, right, right. So so uh, so I think that. Uh, Sarzo was only in Quiet Riot for a minute. Hey, uh, yeah, Sarzo, no, Sarzo was in Quiet Riot for the Metal Health record. He only played, from what I've read, he only played on about half of it. Could Chuck Wright That's right. uh, played on a number of the songs? But again, to not make it about Quiet Riot, but since you bring up Rudy Sarzo and you connected him to Ozzy, which of course is, is accurate, so since we're check this out, so re, who replaced Randy Rhodes when he died, before Brad Gillis? Be, hold on, before Brad Gillis, yes. Speak of the Devil live album. 
just before. Which is a monster live record. By right. The there was a guy that played a few dates with Ozzy in, in Randy Rhodes' am, spot. Am I, am I going to say, oh, God, uh, Bernie Torme? You are correct. And where did he come from? Rainbow? Ian no, Gillen's band. He, Ian Gillen's band. That's right. In no, Gillen. It was just Gillen. called Gillen, right? Yeah. <laughs> ching, ching. Hold him up. There we go, there we ching, go again, ching. you know? Yeah. Ching, ching, ching. Ching, yeah. ching, ching. Yeah. And on the subject of Gillen, the band Gillen, um, he also gave us Yannick Gears, who's been the third guitar player in Iron Maiden for a number of Hold years. Hold on a second. I didn't even know that. So Yannick was, was where? And uh, he was in Gillen for a, for a little while. He actually replaced Bernie Torme in Gillen. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't Bernie Torme from Gillen, just to be clear, so everyone can keep putting this together? Because I just, I, you just <laughs> corrected me on that. Okay, so <clears throat> Gillen guitar player, Bernie Torme. I feel like Bernie Torme was for a very short time in not Widowmaker, but Desperado with Clive Burr and Dee Snyder. You are correct. Yes. Kicks ass. <laughs> Kicks ass. So Dee Snyder is oh, on God. Dee Snyder is on the Deep Purple Tree. Yeah. And I so mean, you know, Kevin Bacon style. This is know. crazy. Yeah. So so since we're talking well, about... Well, it's only as crazy as we let it be crazy. I mean, this is not really... Let's take a, just another breath of air here. Let's, let's catch <laughs> our breath for a minute, because we're about to nerd out plenty more. I thought we did that 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take another breath, because <laughs> it really is amazing um, what it is we're doing. Uh, we could, and we probably will, but... This is technically not an episode of Talk Louder about um, Deep Purple. No, it's it's it about it's yeah, about elaborate. the family tree of Deep Purple. It's basically it's like I said earlier. It's amazing how many times the common denominator comes back to Deep Purple. And so, yeah, we're not going to go album by album through the Deep Purple catalog and discuss the greatness of Deep Purple, uh, although we could because they're certainly worth a worth a show. And 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 Lord knows we wouldn't have Lord. Did you hear that? No pun yeah, intended. Yeah, we need to talk about John Lord. <laughs> he's the yeah. original. He's the original member. Yeah. Uh, before we get away from Bernie Torme, though, one more right. little one more little note about Bernie, and then we'll move on to John Lord. But. Uh, Bernie also at one time, somewhere in all this mix, had a band, a self-named band, just called Torme. And I remember that. In uh, if you don't remember, I used to be a worshiper of Kerrang magazine, and I would find this kind of stuff all the time. And I'd read these little small squared, you know, snippets in the bottom of corner of a page somewhere, and I'd read. Yeah, yeah. So. So then, do you know who he had as a singer? This is Bernie Torme again, when he had his self-titled band, Torme. He had a I singer. I don't recall. Bill Lewis. Oh. Yeah. And what did I say in a text message to you the other day? 
Everybody knows Phil Everybody Lewis. Everybody knows Phil Lewis. <laughs> He's legend. He is. There He's you go. Yeah. So hold on a second. Did we just put Phil Lewis on the tree? I think we put him on the deep purple tree. He's out. He's he's pretty far out there, but he's on the tree. Yeah. Boom, Daddy O. That's serious. Well, we need to make sure that he knows that his name came up in an episode about deep purple, and he p- would probably be like, "Hey, mate, how did that happen?" Oh, I'd, be, I'd be like, "Dude, you were in Torme for a minute." Ah, brilliant. It's a, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So let's go back to John the, Lord. We doesn't wait. Doesn't that put? I'm gonna nerd for a second. Doesn't that put Def Leppard on the Deep Purple tree? Oh God. Uh, Phil well, Collins by way of girl. by way of girl. I see yeah, where you're girl, going. Phil Collins, Def Leppard, yeah. Phil, Collin, Phil Lewis, Torme. Yeah. Uh, that's at the end of a branch I can't quite see the end of. It's but yeah, pretty far it's, out there over. It's not. It's not even over land anymore. It's over the Atlantic or something. Yeah. <laughs> so John Lord, we need to mention John Lord. I mean, holy okay. smokes, one of the one of the great uh, keyboard players in hard rock, heavy metal, and and just I mean, I bet if that guy sat down at a piano in a hotel bar, he'd just blow your mind. You know. He made his he made his bones in the hard rock heavy metal world, but uh, strikes me as a guy who might have been classically trained. In group, he is. He's you know? classically trained. I have look. I have made sure to uh, do a, li- a little bit of page flipping on him. Yeah. And what I want to bring up is, and you kind of said it a little bit. Let me elaborate. You you said he's kind of, um, you know, garned his feathers by playing in hard rock bands. Yeah. Or, or metal. You even said heavy metal. And let me elaborate on that. The idea of there's this five-piece band, but there's not two guitar players like a Judas Priest or something, right? There's one guitar player, <clears throat> but then you hear this, well, it's not a bass guitar, and it's not a guitar. What the hell is that? Well, what that is, is that's like a Hammond B3 with John Lord just ripping on it. <laughs> through a Marshall stack with some gain on it, with some crisp, you know what I mean? He's playing this like church organ tone through a Marshall stack and, and inadvertently created this super heavy undertow tone that's somewhere between a bass guitar and a lead guitar or power chords, which are sound like you're talking about heavy metal. Now, that is, that's almost like, and let throw in like an eight string bass that you play chords on a bass that you play chords on with a pick, um, a, just you know a six string guitar. This is a blender, by the way, uh, an organ, uh, a Leslie speaker, which is a spinning speaker that usually has a lot of gain on it <laughs> that you hear. It's like an effect for keyboards. Yeah. Before the before they realized that you could actually use guitar effects like wah wah and stuff like that on an electric piano or keyboard because you can. Um, Pre world of like maybe maybe John Lord was around right when I'm just gonna say synthesizers or Moog 
key keyboard type stuff was starting to happen, which is more of late seventies, eighties thing. John Lord, we're talking late sixties. Yeah. And he's already doing this crazy, heavy, neoclassical turning into what would be known as a heavy metal type of a thing with Richie Blackmore standing right next to him. Right. And they're doing harmonies together. Yes. Yeah. He's he's on keyboard and guitar, which later on, of course, Ingvar Malmsteen, who's definitely on the tree um, by way of many, many different ways. Um, Joe Lynn Turner was right. on the series of his records. Um, anyway, Jens Johansson, who's actually in a current version of Deep Purple, I believe. Isn't Jens Johansson in the current version of Deep Purple? I'm not sure. All I know is that Deep Purple, to this day, just released a brand new album, so they're still at it. <laughs> I think it's Jens from Ingve on... Anyway, uh, Jens and Anders Johansson have been the key... Jens on keys and Anders on drums... They're in, they were in and out of Ingve records since the beginning. Rising Force, they're they're Rising Force. Uh, they were brothers. They had a band uh, called Silver Mountain when they were kids, which was keys and it was heavy metal, but it was uh, symphonic before that was even a term. So anyway, um, so where was I? <laughs> we were talking about John Lord. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to uh, to add to your your point about John Lord. Um, I mean, it's amazing the way he's chasing Blackmore on the solo to Highway Star. I mean, that is insane. You know, you've got one of the greatest hard rock slash metal neoclassical guitars ever in Richie Blackmore. I want to bring up Ingve one more time because Jens and Ingve did that. Yeah. On the keyboards, just like in Highway Star and Ingbe, of course. Is. Right. But and they and to, to be clear, just to be clear, a lot of people think Ingbe is basically stealing a Blackmore kind of a thing all the time. And yes, he is, but he's also influenced by keyboard players who played like that. Um, classical yeah. piano players. Oh yeah, and I think his I think his uh, claim to it is his sister had these classical piano players that were going kind of stuff, yeah. and he wanted to learn how to do that on guitar. Okay, back to where you were. Yeah, you could you could argue that uh, guys like Blackmore and and certainly Ingve uh, were structuring their guitar playing after. After piano and keyboards, they weren't they weren't idolizing other guitar heroes. I mean, they were to a degree, but uh, you know, you don't often think of landmark guitar players as being influenced by classical music, which is dominated by you know keys and, and that sort of thing. You think of classical guitar players growing up on previous guitar players, you know, a guitar player from another generation. And certainly, you know, Blackmore and definitely Ingve, you know, uh, had their their idols, their guitar heroes, but especially those European type guitar players, because classical music is such a part of the fabric of the culture of European countries. Um, yeah, those guys grew up mimicking keyboard players on their guitar rather than 
mimicking the previous generation's guitar hero. But anyway, I always thought it was fascinating because, you know, and, and again, uh, keyboards and piano in, in some circles aren't considered heavy and they're not considered rock. And, you know, people people bitch and moan about eh, keyboards, blah, blah, blah. But uh, John Lord was a monster and 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 very responsible for the overall sound of uh, of Deep Purple. And the fact that he could chase someone as lickety split as Richie Blackmore uh, and compliment him so well as almost a second, uh, you know, guitar player. I mean, it, it's almost like they were, you know, when you think of uh, Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing or Dave Murray and Adrian Smith, you got or Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham, these two guitar players who can trade off these rip and lead guitars. Well, in Deep Purple, you had Richie Blackmore and that second ripping lead guitar player was John Lord on keyboards. <laughs> you know, that's right. Well, John Lord um, died in 2012, but uh, I think Don Airy. I was going to bring him jumped, up. Yeah, jumped jumped in as early as uh, I'm 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 looking at notes here, um, at, as early as 2001. Um, so John Lord must have been. Yeah, he kind of stepped out in 2002. So that yeah. makes sense that Don Airy kind of just carried the baton. And if I'm not mistaken, Don Airy is in the current version of Deep Purple to this he, day. He is, he is. And Don Airy, um, it should be mentioned that this this brings up Black Sabbath. He's played with Dio. <clears throat> Talking Don Airy, he's played with Dio. He's played with Sabbath. Um, Ozzy. Ozzy, yeah, Uh he has, I think that that might even be him on Mr. Crowley. Yeah, he's definitely on, uh, yeah, that's him on Mr. Crowley. He did the first two Ozzy records yeah. and he toured with Ozzy. Most, most, uh, hard rock, heavy metal bands, whether you know his name or not, you're familiar with his work because he did, uh, he was with Ozzy during that period of Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. Let's hover over over this Ozzy moment for a second. So the rhythm section is Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake. So I think Lee Kerslake, I want to say, was in uh, Uriah Heap for a moment. Yes, not Bob a moment. Daisley. He was in he was in Uriah Heap for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Well, then Bob Daisley was in Rainbow for a minute. For a minute, yes. Okay. So there we go. More. Yeah more connections um <clears throat> now uh don airy john lord um let's talk about let's let's go back to the aussie moment i wanted to just take a moment and think about just let it just think about that intro for mr crowley what would that song be without that intro that intro says it would just tone. start with Mr. Crowley. It wouldn't have the 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 build that that builds that up so Ozzy can introduce Mr. Crowley. Yeah, it's it, now, it, <clears throat> now how heavy metal is that, and how neoclassical is that, and how John Lord of him, yeah, to do that and <laughs> yeah. go, well, how man, that's that's making keyboards sound like they belong in heavy metal, right? Okay, and. And it's because I think it works so well because, you know, his playing is is perfect for the song. It lends it a very cathedral sort of goth 
sort of uh, element. And and then, of course, then the song, the, the, the subject matters, you know, Aleister Crowley, which is, you know, all about Satanism and that sort of thing. So it it really complements the song, not just musically, but topically as far as the lyrics or whatever. And you're right. That song benefits tremendously from that creepy sort of eerie uh, keyboard intro that that sets it all up. Yeah, it's um, it makes you think of the Phantom of the Opera theme. It makes exactly. you think of a lot of different things. But you you nailed it. It's definitely cathedral because it's uh, it sounds like the old church pipe organ stuff, you know, which yeah. is Phantom of the Opera. That's you know, yeah, the old theater pipe organ thing, where they built those uh, those those you know, uh, uh, my terminology is terrible, but they built them into the wall of the building. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I want to bring up another guy here. Uh, just uh, another, another guy that's probably, uh, I hate to use the word footnote cause I don't want to diminish his significance, but uh, in the grand scheme of, of the conversation, uh, certainly one of the lesser known dudes. And that is Tony Carey. Do you remember Tony? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, where does he factor into this conversation? Where's his starting point? And we'll go from there. Do you know where, you know? I, I, I don't know what what version. <clears throat> Let's see. I've got some notes here. I can look. Um, I'll help you out. Yeah, please, because so, I'm not seeing him in my notes here. Tony, Tony Carey is the keyboard player on Rainbow Rising. Okay. So... He is yeah, I'm looking in my deep, my purple notes and, and he's over in my rainbow. Notes. He's in the rainbow. Yeah. So, uh, so again, rising, uh, often cited as one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time. He is on that record. And then, um, I was never aware of that, you know, cause that album came out in 76 and I wasn't aware of who was the keyboard player in rainbow at that time, you know? Well, if he's not standing up front, you know, you know, doing, you know, it, you know, playing a solo or singing, it's hard, you know, sometimes right. it's hard to look back there. Rainbow was was not on my radar in 1976 the way Kiss was. So, I, you That's know, I was your fault. Don't don't right. <laughs> don't bump out. That's not your fault. But I, I want to say that in a band like Rainbow, especially on the Rising album, you know, you, you're going to be overshadowed by Ronnie James Dio and Richie Blackmore. But anyway, Tony Carey played keyboards on Rising, but I was always, he came onto my radar. When he was in the band, who was the singer for Rainbow? Uh, Dio. Okay. All right. Yeah. He did the Rising record. And then Tony Carey had some hits on MTV as just Tony Carey, didn't he? Exactly. And that's where I was going with all this. One song that was kind of cool. I was a sucker for his uh, for his solo stuff. Uh, and at the time that it came out, I wasn't even aware that that's the guy who was the keyboard player in Rainbow at one time. So we're talking now we're now we're talking about the early 80s. Right. And he had some stuff on the radio and MTV. And uh my favorite song of we're talking a period between 82 and 84, maybe 85. And my favorite song was a song called fine, fine day. And there was a video for it. And 
the storyline was basically about uh, a family reunion that uh, the guest of honor was, you know, I guess this long lost uncle who was in the mob and he was caught up in gangster activity and all this stuff and went to prison for a long time. And then he gets out. And the day that he gets out, they have a big family reunion. It's a fine, fine day for a reunion. And then the guy gets gunned down by one of his rival mob. Uh, it's like a mob hit from, you know, many years ago. They don't forget, right? <clears throat> and they right. come back and get the guy. But I always love that song. Um, and the video is kind of cool, you know, in, a, in an early 80s MTV kind of somewhat cheesy way, but not too bad. Uh, but yeah, Tony Carey had "It's a Fine Fine Day." He had another song called "I Won't Be Home Tonight," which was another. That's radio the song, song that I was that I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, and then he had another hit. Uh, there was a contractual obligation that I think prevented him from releasing it as Tony Carey, or else he just uh, wanted to release it as sort of a side project. And the 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 band was called or the name of the artist, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was under the name Planet P. And the song was, uh, it was called Why Me. And it was sort of, uh, it was sort of loosely based on David Bowie's Space Oddity, because it was about an astronaut, or the video featured all this imagery of space and uh, Tony Carey as an astronaut. I don't know, it was pretty, probably pretty far-fetched. But anyway, there's the keyboard player from uh, Rainbow had three pretty big hits. Not they weren't massive hits, but they were definitely you know on radio and on MTV in the early '80s. And I liked every one of them, so I thought he was great. I I didn't want to not mention Tony Carey in this conversation. Yeah, so I just click. I just got over here to my um, Rainbow notes, and um, yeah, Jens Johansson is in a version of rainbow there you go yeah yeah uh <clears throat> man it just it just goes and goes and goes i gotta say that the uh when you think about the singers that were in rainbow yeah let's talk about that just for a moment so tony carey dio is standing right next to him right Yep. Okay. Long live rock and roll, rising, right? On the Silver Mountain. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Those yeah. are those are anthems. Yeah. Those yeah. are on those are on truck stop CDs of classic rock right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of them, probably all three of those songs. Yeah. So, okay, so Dio joins Black Sabbath. Who's the singer right after that? For Rainbow? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Graham Bonnet? Okay, so Graham Bonnet. Um, <clears throat> Graham Bonnet, there's some hits. Oh, yeah. Uh, Since you've been gone. gone. Uh, Surrender? No, that's Joe Lynn Turner. Um, since you, since you, well, we're going to get to him. Since you've been gone, I think, was probably the biggest one. Yeah. And, and there's, there's another one that I don't know who wrote it. And it's not in even in my notes right now, but I, I'm, it's bumming oh, me out because I, I don't got it. I all, got all night it. long. All night long. Yep. Who yep. is that? A cover? Uh, 
No, I think since you've been gone is a cover. Oh, okay. That's I'm getting you got it backwards. Yeah, yeah, since you've been gone is I believe a Russ Ballard song. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's on, it's on a record called Down Down to Earth. Yeah. 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 It's the only album I believe that Bonnet did with Rainbow. Uh, this is 79. We're hovering around 79 right now. Yeah. But man, what a voice. I mean, if you're going to replace Ronnie James Dio, you could do a lot worse than Graham Bonnet, right? <laughs> no, and, and um, <clears throat> Graham Bonnet, I don't really know his pre... Let me see. <clears throat> his pre... Uh, you know, before Rainbow... What was it? Because it can go and go and go. Yeah. Um, Pre-Rainbow, I'm not sure. I know some post-Rainbow. I know he did Alcatraz and I know he did Michael Shanker Group. Uh, but pre-Rainbow, I'm not I, really sure. I don't see. I don't see anything. Yeah. Uh, don't know. But so they did they did uh, the one album down to earth with Graham Bonnet, uh, which produced a couple of hits. And then Rainbow picks up Joe Lynn Turner. <clears throat> Hold on a second. Did you know Bonnet was uh, almost in the band suite? No. Yeah. In 79, he was uh, they called Brian Connolly was not going to be in suite. <clears throat> and they called they called. Called Graham Bonnet. Ooh, that's, I don't know if that would work. <laughs> well, I I think it would. I think the suite has some super heavy moments. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, I mean, Sweet F.A. is a heavy metal song. Yeah, that's a heavy metal song. So, yeah. Um, I think he would have worked. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, Blackmore got him instead. Yeah. Um, but he's he's more of like an R and B singer, believe it or not. And you right. know what? So is Dio. They're bluesy. They're just they're bluesy. really bluesy, and they're both tenors. You know, they're bluesy guys. Yeah. Um, Dio being American, of course, and uh, and Graham being English. Yeah. Interesting that they have are are similar in a lot of ways. So yeah. Yeah, since you've been gone and all night long were those hits. Uh, I have both of those songs on a Castle Donington Monsters of Rock at Donington Park album. Oh wow! Yeah, with Graham singing. Awesome. And a side note: there was a band on that same bill, I believe, called Grand Prix, with Robin McCauley on lead vocals. Yeah. Who? Join MSG, yeah, to replace Graham Bonnet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. So yeah. all these guys were on stage together in the seventies, in the eighties, playing on each other's records, playing with the dudes from UFO and the Scorpions and Black Sabbath, yeah. all day long, all night long, I should say. <laughs> well played. Okay. okay. Yeah. So where where are we going now? Because this, well, we 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 probably need to mention Joe Lynn Turner. Uh, yeah, exactly. He so, has a foot in. I mean, I mean, should shouldn't we shouldn't we before we go Joe Lynn? Shouldn't we talk about 
um, Graham Bonnet, you know, is leaving Rainbow, bringing in Joel and Turner, but where does Graham go? I think that's when he, it was an Alcatraz, his next step. He started Alcatraz. Yeah. He got Ingve. Ingve Malmsteen. Yeah. Ingve was coming out of, that was early. So Ingve yeah. was doing Rising Force stuff, I think. No, I Not think. Yet. Uh, Not yet. Okay. Uh, so Ingve uh, did Steeler and then yep. Steeler. So Ingve's new to America. Yeah. Um, Mike, in- Mike Varney. You know yeah. that name? Mike Varney. Metal Blade Music for Nations or Metal Blade Records? No. Nope. Shrapnel. Shrapnel. There it is. Okay. He's a Northern California guy who, guitar enthusiast who was, <clears throat> I believe, writing, uh, doing write ups in Guitar Player Magazine, Guitar World Magazine, something like that. Yeah. Had a record label, put out these records called US Metal where he was searching the globe for these unsung guitar players. Yeah. Dial up Marty Friedman, dial up Ingve Malmsteen, dial up uh, Tony McAlpine, dial up uh, all day long. This guy's got contacts to guitar players globally and has outfitted pretty much all of the bands other than MSG and Rainbow and, you know, yeah. Um, Joey Tofola is another one. All Dave, day long, he found Dave all these. Chastain. David Chastain. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he's outfitted roundabout by some avenue. Uh, all of the bands that we love that are all now on the Deep Purple tree somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so. All right. So Graham. Gets Ingvade, does Alcatraz, does an MSG record, and can pretty much do whatever he wants to it. Did you know that Don Van Stavern from San Antonio, Slayer, um, uh, of course, Riot, uh, and is a lifer himself, yep. uh, who's one of us because he's from South Texas. Um, did you know that he's on the new Alcatraz record? I did know that. He's on about half of it. Yeah. So hold on a second. Did we just put our buddy <laughs> Don Van Stavern? Donnie on the, on Don the deep is on the deep purple family tree. <laughs> That's messed up, yo. I, I think we should text him and let him know because he may not be aware of that, but he yeah, he just landed on the deep purple family tree. He wasn't even trying to. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, these um, guys weren't trying to. <laughs> Steve, well, here, here, this is a little bit of a stretch here, but Steve Vai was in Alcatraz. Steve Vai was in David Lee Roth. Well, he wasn't in David Lee Roth, but he was in David Lee Roth's solo band. Yeah. He was in White Snake. He was in White Snake all day long. Steve Vai's on the tree with David Coverdale. Yeah. 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 Um, which puts uh, David Lee Roth on the tree, and it puts uh, Billy Sheehan on the tree. <laughs> okay, okay, this too tree, much. I hope this tree doesn't fall because it's going to take out a, an entire city if it. No, does. hold on. Are you kidding? This tree is almost made of metal. <laughs> it's made it of hard made rock. Of 
it's yeah. made of hard rock and metal. Exactly. And, uh, it's not Jared, Jared sent me a little message. It's it's like the DP spectrum, it's like the deep deep purple, like uh, th- it makes me want to say rainbow. So spectrum uh, yeah. kind of works like a color like a color like a scheme. Prism. Like a prism. Yeah, a prism. Yeah, yeah. So the deep purple spectrum is this prism, uh, like a, of all the colors, uh, rainbow colors. Yeah. To, to just let it be what it's trying to be. Yeah. Of of everything that has become hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah. And all of everything that that is hard rock and heavy metal, and even don't leave out R and B, blues, uh um uh, even psychedelic and prog rock and all that kind of stuff uh, sure. all day long because Steve Morse from Dixie Dregs is in Deep Purple. Yeah. And he was in a band Dixie Dregs. What's the drummer for Winger? Rod Morgenstein, the drummer for Winger. Did I just put Winger on the DP tree? <laughs> I think you did. I just put Alice Cooper on the DP tree. Because of uh Morgenstein? Winger played bass for Alice. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I want to bring up something I think is important in this conversation. Hey, let's not forget Joe Lynn Turner because he's he's worthy. There was okay. a lot of hits and he was related. Yeah. And he's an American singer too, which let's, I think let's is kind of Joe, Let's talk Joe Lynn Turner first because the point I was gonna was I, that I was gonna make almost brings this back full circle to to Deep Purple. And I, I want to save that. So let's talk Joe Lynn Turner first. Real quick, I want to tell everybody to hit like and subscribe and to check out the links that we're going to put in the description down below in case they want to look some of this stuff up and, and maybe yeah. even buy the record or just read the notes because yeah, it's a lot kind of, these, of important. A lot of these albums that we're mentioning uh, will be available through our affiliate links in the description on YouTube beneath this episode. So yeah, yeah. If we, how, are, how are you going to tie what you, your your new geek out to Joe? No, no, my my new geek out is something uh, is something separate, but I don't want to okay. I don't want to forget it. So let's spend some time with Joe Lynn Turner because okay, don't forget your new. No, I won't. Yeah. So Joe Lynn Turner uh, becomes the singer for Rainbow, working alongside Richie Blackmore, puts out. <clears throat> Three albums, difficult to cure, straight between the eyes, and bent out of shape. Did was there anything before difficult to cure? Uh, um, I'm I'm looking at some notes here. Um, I think that's it. Anyway, he uh, so. Let's talk about that for a minute, because as great as Rainbow was with Dio, uh, Joe Lynn Turner probably helped put Rainbow on the radio. You, very good. Thank you. Um, real quick, his his Rainbow, uh, his, his Rainbow work, um, I'm trying to find for you. Um, I'm going with difficult to cure straight between the eyes and bent out of shape. And I might be missing one. But uh, 
I don't think. Yeah, that. yeah, because it was the. This is all the '80s stuff. Uh, but you're right. you're right. In '83 was been out of shape, and Rainbow technically kind of chilled in '84. So, so let's think about the hits with Joe Lynn Turner. Now, you know, we we're all big Ronnie James Dio fans, and we love the work that he did with Rainbow. And you know they they were they got some songs on the radio, uh, "Man on the Silver Mountain," uh, which is a great song. Uh, "Long Live Rock and Roll." Those are anthems, dude. Those yeah. are those are huge. Right, and have been covered so many times. But Richie, Richie, notice how we haven't even mentioned "Smoke on the Water" yet. Yeah, yeah. I'll just. I'll just I'll, let me just crank the elephant into the room. Come on, <laughs> let's get that elephant in here. Yeah. Right? So so yeah. I mean, whatever. Smoke on the water. We're talking. You know, long live rock and roll is this giant, like, epic moment in rock and roll history. Yeah. And so is Man on the Silver Mountain. These I the riffs that. are so Blackmore. Yeah. And so heavy metal. I love uh, "Man on the Silver Mountain." Such Me a great too. song, yeah. um, but you know, Richie, and has, that is the world that—that's the world being introduced to fucking Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, really. That's that's huge. Yeah, that is massive. A big deal. Uh, not not to uh, not to dwell on Dio, but Dio had this band Elf that I believe um, Blackmore Elf opened for Rainbow. I believe the legend has it. And 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 Richie fell in love with Dio's voice, and uh, Blackmore formed Rainbow with Elf, and eventually just took Dio, and they got new guys. Yeah, so I think that, that's the the lore. Yeah, the the first album, uh, the first Rainbow album is is I think it's just called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and uh, it's basically. I it, but I think it's Elf though. It is. Yeah, it's Elf with uh, Richie Blackmore. Right. And then you're right. He fired everybody except Dio, and then put together the lineup that uh, that did uh, long. But you don't. Just to be clear, no one fires Dio. <laughs> no, he didn't fire Dio. He fired. No, no I'm I'm saying that <laughs> he can't be fired. Yeah. <laughs> you don't fire Dio. Dio quits because he's he's on to other things. Yeah. You're yeah. lucky to have Dio as your singer. If you but, lose Dio, it, you fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No but one fires. Rich, even Richie Blackmore does not fire Dio. Yeah, it. Um, Richie Richie's gone on record as saying, you know, he was he was looking for a more commercial appeal, I guess. Uh, and he and he got some of that with Graham Bonnet, but he was going for even more, you know, radio play. When he hired Joe Lynn Turner, and he got it, you know. Oh yeah, the the hits were pretty big with Joe Lynn Turner. Uh, Stone Cold, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, that, that's a great. And you know what? That has that Blackmore thing. The guitar solo, the guitar solo in that song is one of my favorite guitar solos ever, and it's it's very David Gilmore-ish in my opinion. I, I agree. Let me ask you this: Who is the keyboardist in Rainbow? Stone Cold. What record is that on? Do you know? It's on Straight Between the Eyes. Okay, good. So who's the keyboard player now? Is it still Tony Carey? No, no. It's oh, not. okay. No. 
Uh, I don't, and it's not Don Airy either. I don't think. Uh, I'm drawing a blank because I don't. You're saying straight between the eyes. That's eighty-one. Yeah, it had Stone Cold. It had Death Alley Driver. Yep. Um, and and before that, Difficult to Cure had uh, uh. Can't happen here. That was a great. Uh, that's song. a really good song. Very, very uh, Blackmore. Yeah, uh, and it's a rocker. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Here, here's song. a quick. Here's a quick track listing on um, on Straight Between the Eyes. Uh, Stone Cold, Bring on the Night, uh, Tight Squeeze, Tearing Out My Heart, Power, Miss Mistreated, Rock Fever, and Eyes of Fire. Power so, was another one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bobby Rondinelli. Yes, I loved him. Yes. Bobby Rondinelli on drums at this point. I love Bobby he's Rondinelli. An East, he's an American, right? I think he's an East Coast dude. Yeah, he's East Coast guy. With a name like Rondinelli, that I'm, I'm putting my money on the East Coast. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what I loved about him. It was actually the video for Stone Cold. He's behind the kit. He's wearing a full-on black leather jacket. He had this huge head of hair. And he yeah. was just playing, and he just looked so laid back and cool, but he looked so metal. I, I, and it, there's a part in the video where he twirls the stick, you know, and I just thought he was the coolest dude ever. Yeah, so so here's affiliates uh, that he was in. My notes say uh, he was in BOC, he was actually in Quiet Riot for a hot minute, and he also played in a version of Black Sabbath. Yeah, I want to say... Here's here's something I want to say that he also is an uncredited drummer, at least on some parts, uh, on the Scorpions' "Love at First Sting" record. Whoa, I'm, I'm going way out on a limb here, but I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Uh, and so, someone listening or watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment and let me know. I feel like that's, I've heard that. That's a, that might be something that's uncredited here. So, uh, that's uh, yeah, yeah that's Ra rainbow, his rainbow stuff is difficult to cure. Uh, a live record, I think, uh, straight between the eyes. Is he on uh, ben live, live between the eye. What is he on Ben out of shape or do they get somebody new by then? It doesn't, it doesn't have that. So from 81, right. It's difficult to cure. Straight between the eyes, um, solo stuff, but he did a Doro album, Force Majeure. Yeah. He's been around. Uh, Quiet, Quiet Riot in '93, Terrified. Oh, no one knows that. That might be. That's not. Even, that's where it starts to get. You're going. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Black Sabbath by '94, cross purposes. That was like uh, Iomi's. Yeah. Extracurricular Sabbath, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um but he's uh you know, I he but, but as I know he's still around. He plays with um Axel Rudy Pell. Yeah. Which I think is a a, a a European guitar god. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense because but we, we anyway, Joe Lynn Turner and Okay, yeah whole conversation they they uh rainbow had some major hits with uh joe lynn turner and then oddly enough he went on to sing for deep purple at one point yeah 
I, I see that in my notes here. Let's let's talk about like the Ingbe records. We he did like three of them, I think. Oh, Jolene, yeah. I don't Jolene know. Jolene Turner sang on three Ingbe Malmstein records. Now, the first one that he did is called Odyssey. It's not okay. the biggest Ingbe record, right? In my book, the Rising Force, the first, you know, marching out, you know, that stuff is you know, it's in my brain right now. Yeah. Uh, tattooed on my soul. So Odyssey, um, the, I want to say the, the basic tracks, drums and bass and keys and basic guitar stuff was recorded at Arlen in Austin, Texas, 1988. Ah, really? Yes. Didn't know that. And the band was Jolyn Turner was not on the scene, so to speak, because vocals come later, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, Anders and Jens um, don't know the bass player uh, on that record. I don't have it in my notes here. And Ingve were were all in Austin in 1988 when. Not it's this show's not about me, but it's a memory that I have, which is a really awesome memory that I, I will expose here. Yeah. And Dangerous Toys was basically the freaking house band at the back room here in Austin. Right. You think about 88, 87 and 88. That record Odyssey came out in 88. So in yeah. early 88, maybe late 87, early 88, somewhere around there, Ingve's band is in Austin. They're staying at these like home suite hotel room suites, like giant hotel room suites. It's not there anymore on the corner of I-35 and Ben White. Yeah. Which yeah. is right down the road from where the old back room was. Right down the road from where I'm sitting right now. That's right. So <laughs> here you go. So those guys were coming into the back room every night getting their drink on. Yeah. So... In 85, Watchtower, we opened for Ingve wow. at the Austin City Coliseum, and I had met those dudes, right? Yeah. Uh, in 87, yeah, it was in 87 and early, yeah, I was still in Watchtower, but I was also doing toys, yeah. right? Yeah. I was moonlighting, right? Right. So during that, while those guys were here, they would get, well, Anders would. Anders would get on stage at the back room with the toys and play covers with us on Mark's drum kit. Oh, wow. Mark would just stand there and drink a beer while wait, Anders wait, would play. Wait, yep. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to have to interrupt you here. So did you just land yourself on the Deep Purple family tree? <laughs> I'm out. I'm Get these headphones. I'm out. I, I wasn't trying to do that, but holy Christ on yeah. the cross. Jason just died and went to oh, hell. Holy, holy Christ on the deep purple tree. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, but that's just way too crazy. <laughs> I don't claim that because nothing's ever been recorded or anything. No, right? I just so had to that claim that. Nice try, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, those guys were hanging out in Austin. And we were there hanging out with them and stuff. And I remember having a conversation with Ingve about who's singing on this thing. 
and Ingbe's going, Jolyn Turner, I'm going. He's not heavy enough for you. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I like the Rising Four stuff. Who's the singer on there? It's Jeff Scott Jason. Soto. Yeah, Jeff Scott Soto. Sorry about that. I'm I'm a huge fan, and uh, his name escaped me. Um, he, I've got a picture of me and Jeff Scott Soto like three feet from my hand um, <laughs> from when we opened for. Anyway, so I'm telling Ingber Malmstein right to his face. Well, you need to get Jeff back. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, this this is going to be good. And I'm kind of going for something different. And I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. It was a, it was the most civilized conversation that I had with with Ingve at that point. Because Ingve's he's got some piss and vinegar in him sometimes. Sure. He's yeah. he's got his own views on stuff. Yeah. And he stayed on me. He stayed on me in this conversation about how Jolyn Turner is going to help his band. And I'm like, okay, I'm not getting into any kind of argument or pissing match with Ingve Malmsteen, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to tell him, dude, I love Jeff. This is going to be a hard sell for me. And I'm a fan. He's going, no, nah, this is, it's going to be good. And I'm like, all right. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, you're just happy. Cause he was, he played with Blackmore. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, it's almost as if he was emulating the path that Blackmore took when Blackmore was looking for a more commercial singer to get to land on the radio. Bingo. And, and now here's Ingve with the opportunity to get the very guy that got Blackmore. Well, that's what I'm saying. Someone yeah. said, you know, it's like someone said, uh, B7, and Ingve jumped up and went, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You get Jolyn Turner to sing on your records. Yeah. Bingo. Um, okay, so Jolyn Turner uh, does three records. I just wanted to bring that up. That uh, oh, and y Jens and Ander Anders actually came to a Watchtower rehearsal. I wanted to oh, nice. throw that little Bogart in there as well. Watch and uh, so. they watched Watchtower rehearse. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just crazy to even think of. Uh, and Yens is in the current version of, of Rainbow right now. Rainbow or Deep Purple? Uh, see, you're freaking me out. Well, Which, well no, seriously. Yeah, so, Yens is with Blackmore right now in, uh, in Rainbow. Rainbow. Even though Rainbow is still happening right now. Yeah, it says uh, 2015 to the present. Okay. That's, that's yeah. Bad. Yeah. Uh, and this is, I'm confessing, this is uh, wiki here. It says members Blackmore, Jens Johansson, David Keith, Bob Nouveau, and Ronnie Romero. Okay. I don't even know who most of those people, but I know who Jens and Blackmore are. Yeah. They've both so made records with, bingo, Joe Lynn Turner. Yeah. Is the whole point here. Right. So, okay. So, Rook, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I, I, I don't want to change the subject until you're ready because I, I don't want to detour your Joe Lynn Turner stuff. Let's geek out on Tommy Bolin. Oh. So, wow. Okay. Tommy Bolin, Tommy Bolin is in 
uh, Deep Purple when Coverdale and Glenn Hughes are in Deep Purple, I think. That sounds right. For a moment. Yeah, yeah. Tom Bolin, this is when Rainbow was happening. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so so <clears throat> so uh, Blackmore goes and does Rainbow, and these guys are like, "What are we? What are we gonna do?" Well, Tommy Bolin is from Colorado. Is he born, born in Colorado? Wow, Boulder. Uh, plays in a band called Zephyr, which had a dude that ended up being in the Graham Parsons Project or something. Okay. And went on after that to play with Carol King or something. Wow. Drummer or a keyboard player or something. Anyway. Yeah. Huge. I just put Carol King on the Deep Purple tree. Anyway, so <laughs> this band Zephyr was supposedly a big deal. Um, Tommy Bolin. So yeah. he gets the call somehow through avenues, right? Right. So he's now in Deep Purple. Oh, Tommy Bowen was also, um, before uh, that, I think he played with the James Gang. Yes, I was just going to say. Okay. What do you know about that? I, I, I know he was affiliated with the James Gang, and I want to say it was one of those hot minute things. I, I don't okay. think, I don't know how long he was in the band or even it's if he was. A year. A year. Yeah. But he's three yeah. He's associated with the James Gang, but I don't know if he recorded with him or did any albums. Uh, Do you know how old he was when he died? Tommy Bolin? Yeah. Uh, Tommy Bolin. I'm going to guess in his 30s. 25 fucking years old. Wow. See, don't I don't know how. I don't know how, but um, that is ridiculous. That is, a, you're a child. He's yeah. still... Yeah, uh, that's so great. Wait, so wait, should, a I say, wait a should I say wait child in time? So so wait, <laughs> why not? Yeah. So wait a minute. He played in Deep Purple and was dead by the time he was twenty-five. Crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. So in seventy-six, I don't, I'm not sure what year he died, but probably seventy-six. I think seventy-six. No idea. Seventy-seven. Yeah. Right. Um, because here we go more weight on the tree uh more fruit on the tree yeah first moxie record tommy bolin solos all over it yeah that's 76 okay. okay so is it could it be that tommy bolin an ex-member of deep purple who played solos on the first moxie record who died in that was in 76 did i just put moxie on the tree i did if you did then i okay. think you just put mike reno on the tree <laughs> Lover boy singer is on the tree. Okay. Okay. Let, let's bring it back to Deep okay. Purple. Let's bring it back to the, the core of Deep Purple. The, the, yes, the please. Point, the point that I wanted to make or something that I didn't want to overlook was uh, Deep Purple obviously went through a lot of incarnations and a lot of uh, people coming and going and whatnot. This but is, this is still, hold your thought for a second. Is Ian Pace the only original member right now in Deep Purple, the current lineup of Deep Purple? I, I, if I had to bet money, I would say yes. I'm not familiar with the first couple of Deep Purple records, but assuming he was the drummer when Rod Evans was the singer, then I would yeah. say yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, 
speaking of the impace and where I was going with this, let's uh, let's circle back to 1984. Deep Purple has gone into many different directions, and they reunite and put out the Perfect Strangers album. Holy shit, what a kick-ass album. What an album, dude. Wasn't that a great record? So, so there's a lot of bands that have their early stuff, and whether they charted or whether they had hits, whether they were had the uh, the X factor that would put you on the radio without losing your original fans, but garnering new because of the the web you are building. Yeah, yeah. The mass takeover you are. In, in in you know working towards yeah for whatever reason you know uh they got the right management they wrote the right song yeah uh is our muddy is our buddy martin birch hanging out with all these guys uh, dude you're reading my mind you're yeah, reading yeah, yeah. My mind. so so hold on a second let's talk about perfect strangers That's... i mean dude is a woman from tokyo on that record no that album has what is, what is that? What album is that? Uh, it's Tokyo. It's one of the early. It's one of the Gillen records. It's either uh, in rock, Machine Head. Uh, it's one of the classic Deep Purple. It's so classic I can't remember it. <laughs> but woman, yeah, but you know what? That 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 song, "Woman from Tokyo," could have been on perfect stranger that's how sort of like seamless perfect strangers was that's the beauty of perfect strangers it sounded like it could have come out in 19 you know 74 or something like that yeah and the the singles off perfect strangers was uh the title track perfect strangers and here's the one knocking at your back door yes what a great song great song and uh, they were back in a big way with that album. They they kind of went away and turned into different you know different players and whatever. But they came roaring back with that album. And the tour was successful. The album was successful. Uh, by then, it's 1984, so MTV is in full swing. They were gaining a whole new generation of fans who had heard of Deep Purple but had no experience with them except you know Smoke on the Water. And here's uh, a whole, here's Deep Purple with uh, the classic lineup and a brand new album and uh, just a huge breath of fresh air. And well, it, two, it great two album. hits, two hits is amazing. Yeah, uh, sure. For, <clears throat> and what year is that? Jesus, 84. 84. Yeah, you're right. Um so hold on a second. I want to find just because it's bugging the crap out of me, and I don't mind doing it right here. Um, Looking up woman in woman from Tokyo. Yeah, woman from Tokyo because they had that come taste the band. That's Coverdale, I think. You're you're right. Uh, woman from Tokyo is going to be on. It's older rock. than that. It's good. Yeah, it's with Ian Gillen. I can't believe that. That's yeah, Gillen. Gillen sings that song, so it's either I know. it's either in rock or Machine Head or no, because uh, Coverdale's Burn. Isn't it? Yeah, that's Coverdale too. Yeah, Coverdale's Burn. God, what a song that is! That's Have a you great just song. listened to the drums before on that on 
on Burn. Yeah. Listen to what Ian Pace is playing on that song. Yeah. Yeah. It's sick. Yeah. Uh, well, Smoke on the Water's on Machine Head. So, Woman from Tokyo's after that. So, is it uh, uh, Fireball? Yeah. Uh, 71? That's just crazy. Is that is that no, it? Wait. No, wait. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, no. Right. Tokyo's not on that. Well, it's definitely sung by Ian Gillen. So it's somewhere in that period with, uh, with Gillen on vocals. Well, someone tell me, because I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, somebody leave it in the comments. It's got to be In Rock, Machine Head, Fireball, or... Yeah, I, I, I missed it in my little search, and I, it's not... So here's the, here's the last... Not the end of the world right now. We've we got plenty of shit to go over. Here's the, here's the, the last thing I wanted to bring up, okay. and, and you touched on it already. I was going to say, here we go again. The common denominator in this whole conversation is a guy who's not even a musician, and that is Martin Birch. And Martin Birch is so fantastic. We did a whole episode of on him earlier in the Talk Louder history. Uh, and entire, we could say that earlier this season. Yeah, earlier this season, yeah. Uh, Martin Birch, the, the producer. So we've talked today about Martin got his... For all intents and purposes, I, he he got his name on the radar. Let's just say it like that. He probably did some things earlier, but he really started gaining prominence during the time that he spent working with Deep Purple. So Martin Birch, producer, engineer, gets makes his name starting with Deep Purple. Did albums with White Snake, Rainbow. Black Sabbath, all of the bands that we're talking about. Uh, what am I forgetting here? Am I forgetting anything? Uh, I mean, that right there covers the 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 big bands that we've mentioned in this show. Yeah, today. I mean, you want to like go ahead and and turn. Wait, did he do Rainbow? Hold on, he did Deep Purple, did. Rainbow, Black Sabbath, White Snake, White Snake. There's four. That's four. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty impressive. Big four of Martin Birch. Yeah. Now, well, you could say big five with Maiden. Yeah, Iron Maiden is probably where he's, you know, well, we'll save that for another show. Well, we already did that show. But, yes, talking about Deep Purple and the, and the topic we're discussing today, Martin produced uh, all the classic Deep Purple records, or else he engineered them. He produced the Rainbow Rising record. He produced Slide It In by Whitesnake. He produced Heaven and Hell and the Mob Rules by Black Sabbath. I mean, that guy right there, all the bands that we've been talking about today, he was in the control room when they recorded. So here's a here here's like basically a list of greatest hits that I'm sure Martin had almost everything to do with. At the top of this episode, I mentioned uh, Hush and Kentucky Woman, which were both uh, singles in um, 1968. The first record had Hush on it. That's the first record. That's uh, Rod Evans, right? Yep. 
Um, yeah. Kentucky Woman is also, uh, that's the uh, Neil Diamond song. That's 1968. Yeah. It's like, dude, it's like, is Beatlemania still going? <laughs> At this point, you see what I'm saying? Okay, hold on a second. So it was bad this bad. is just a rundown. I just want to read. I'm, I'm looking this up. Just I'm being fair. I, I'm not going to act like I know these songs. Okay, Smoke on the Water, Highway Star, Child in Time, Great Black songs. Knight, Space Truckin', Woman from Tokyo, Soldier of Fortune, uh, knocking on your back, knocking at your back door, Demon's Eye, Perfect Strangers. Sometimes I feel like screaming. That's a '90s thing. Uh, Speed King. That's I think that's a Coverdale. It's an early uh, Burn. Burn is Coverdale. Lazy. Yeah, lazy. Who's, who's lazy? That that was a big song. Oh, it's on Machine Head. Yeah, so that's that's Gillen. Yeah, mistreated. Uh, when a blind man cries, that's Machine Head again. Um, something called Help, that's on the first record, and Pictures of Home, that's Machine Head. Arguably, Machine Head might be their uh their biggest moment. Well, it's got Smoke on the Water, so there you go. That's Dude, Smoke like... on the Water is from 1971. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Smoke on the Water is their stairway to heaven. It's their signature yeah. tune. So so Smoke on the Water is uh right in there with like probably on the radio the same year that like Sabbath Paranoid came out. Yeah, close. It's sure. in that, yeah. Yeah, really close. The yeah. first Alice Cooper, uh well, technically the third, but Love It to Death. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Um, no kiss yet. There's no kiss. Queen is still working on it. Right. Yeah, these guys have been around, I mean, for decades and decades. But, I mean, like I said at the top of the show, you wouldn't have heavy metal if not for Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, and Black Sabbath. And yeah. I'm, I, I'll admit, I'm more, I'm more knowledgeable about Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. I, they're, they're more of my go-to. But I, I won't for a minute sit here and deny the greatness and the influence of of Deep Purple. I mean, yeah, they, they're every bit as important as Zeppelin and Black Sabbath when it comes to the foundation of heavy metal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think that when you think about, uh, you know, What more of just elaborating on what you've said, the you know, the more I think about Deep Purple, um, I think that there would be no, no Black Sabbath, I think there would be no Ingvay Malmstein, I think there would be no, I. I don't know how else to say it. I'm getting, uh, it's kind of an emotional moment to think about the sort of genesis. I mean, they're like the, how does the wizard find, where does the wizard get his first crystal ball? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the chicken or the egg, right? So yeah. where does the crystal ball come from? 
I've I've always considered Zeppelin, Purple, and Sabbath to be contemporaries because they all they all debuted right around the same time. Um, they all brought something different to the table. Uh, you know, Deep Purple bringing sort of that neoclassical thing. Yeah. Uh, Sabbath bringing the drop tuning and the real sludgy sort of demonic sort of thing. And then Zeppelin being kind of a little more all over the map, but when they wanted to get heavy, uh, I mean, communication breakdown, tell me that's not metal, you know? And I always consider those three bands to be sort of the founding fathers of, of what, of what heavy metal became. You know, there's people that are going to argue that, you know, you can go back to the kinks and you can go back to the MC5 and stuff like that uh, and, and, and blue cheer. And that's all fair. That's fine. But I think but I think by the time Zeppelin and uh, Purple and Sabbath came around, they were they were contemporaries of each other. And because they were coming up at the same time a movement was sort of built around them or a, or a scene or a vibe was sort of created because there was three bands doing it at the same time. And they were unintentionally sort of growing this thing that they didn't realize was going to be called heavy metal because it didn't have a name yet. But because there was three of them sort of doing it at the same time, it was hard not to notice. Well, and, and before you go off, on which is probably going to happen at some point because I don't really think we've done a proper episode yet on the new wave of British heavy metal. You're thinking about <clears throat> Purple and Sabbath and Zeppelin and you know. Yeah. The bands that became what is now known as the new wave of British heavy metal in these late 70s and early 80s late 70s this was 10 years this is looking at you know roughly between seven and ten years prior to what someone would call the new wave of british heavy metal well this is what they've got it this is what they where they got it when you think about there's like every third chapter in rob halford's book confess which I know you got for your birthday. I can't wait to compare notes. Yeah. Um, Rob's talking about Led Zeppelin. He's talking about, you know, the first time he heard that stuff. Yep. And he's talking about Black Sabbath. Of course, those were his buddies, right? Same neighborhood. Yep. And he's talking about Purple. He's talking about Gillen. He's talking, and this is like every third chapter, there's a mention of something. There's a mention of Ozzy, there's a mention of Iomi, there's a mention of <clears throat> Zeppelin. There's a couple of run ins. It's not a spoiler, but there's a couple of run ins with Page in the book. Yeah. And he, he doesn't really have a chance to properly fanboy out on Page. <laughs> um, it's cool uh, how, how he's confessing see what i did there yeah to what we're talking about the the genesis and or as i i'm going to go back step back into the crystal ball thing it's like 
Well, someone has to, who makes the crystal ball? Is that sent down on a cloud from angels or, you know, to look into, to, you know, create what it is the, that, that became deep purple and became rainbow and became who, who is the genesis of this? You know, who started deep purple is, is John Lord. Yeah. John Lord started this. Did you know, going all the way back to 68, John Lord was in a band called the Flower Pot Men. <laughs> oh, Which man. Which is terrible. Yeah, there was cool. going to be a super group thing called Roundabout. Okay. Where members would be all these badass, sort of blue man group badasses, you know, and they switch switch music, switch instruments and musicians and stuff yeah this is going to be with uh <clears throat> someone named i'm I'm, pro I'm paraphrasing a little bit there was this guy named art wood whose uh brother is ron wood from faces rolling stones yeah that john lord was going to be in this group with wow pretty trippy i just did i just put the faces and and uh, rolling stones on the tree i think i did so when they yeah. were putting together this super group, uh, they had Blackmore and John Lord, and they're looking for a singer. And you know who came and tried out? I just mentioned faces. Rod Stewart. Ah. Nice. Rod Stewart. See? Almost. See? Just put, just, put, just put Maggie May on the... <laughs> If you oh. want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, let me know. And that's 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 on the tree, man. Well, I think if we if we peel back the layers anymore, I'm gonna find out that I'm on the deep purple tree. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what uh, they like the band? They like the name Deep Purple, but you know what was a a close second for a band name, no. which which wouldn't have wouldn't have worked at all. Concrete God, oh, which is yeah. really cool. That's really cool imagery there, but yeah, it doesn't do the. Uh, it's not vague enough, right? It's not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's very specific. Yeah, that, that name brings to mind something more modern, like uh, all black leather and spikes, and you know. It brings to mind a band that Deep Purple would have influenced. <laughs> you know what I mean? A yeah, con Concrete God sounds like something maybe Spinal Tap would have written. Isn't that a? Isn't that wasn't that an offshoot of that band, The Darkness, when they broke up? Didn't it they could have been. Oh, it it could have been. I don't. I don't know if that name. I can't say the name Concrete God was ever maybe, used, maybe, but maybe they were. Maybe they were called the Stone Gods or something like that. But okay. Anyway, I'm glad that yeah. they're deep purple. Like I said, I, I think if we if we continue, I'm gonna find out that I was once a roadie for deep purple. <laughs> right. Which would be fine, you know. I could put myself on the deep purple tree. But uh yeah, I I, I just feel like uh I'm glad you 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 really wanted to do this show. You you've been kind of pushing this one for a while and I and I think it it really just goes to show, you know, the whole purpose here was to to sort of make people aware of how many times the common denominator is deep purple. Cause it's really pretty impressive when you think about 
all the bands and, and musicians that we talked about today and how they're all connected in some way to Deep Purple. And I'm sure there's names we left out, and I'm hoping that our listeners... Oh, there, there is. There is. It, it goes on and on. It's, it's so yeah. ridiculous. And so, it also, I want to, I want to get, get emotional here for a second. I want to just want to say this. You're already, you're already sort of connecting everybody to everybody else. Yeah. Hard rock and heavy metal fans, we're connected. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, we, we, we know, we see each other coming a mile away. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if we don't, I don't think that you are as invested into it as some of us are. Yeah. 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 It's uh, you know, yeah, exactly. That's a great point. We, we're sitting here making the, uh, we're sitting here making a point about how far reaching, uh, the deep purple family tree is, but if you take it a step farther and you talk about the heavy metal family tree, we're all part of it. Everybody listening to the show, you and I, our producer, Jared, I mean, every, everybody that ever geeked out and saved their allowance for a kiss cassette or join the kiss army or whatever. And you're right. We could spot each other a mile away. And, uh, so if your if your favorite guitar player is Tony Iommi, we can be friends. You're well, <laughs> I like that. That sounds like a t-shirt. But if your favorite guitar player is, um, I don't know, you know, Blackmore. John, John Sykes. Yeah. You're connected to the family. You're connected to the deep purple tree. You know how John, you want to connect John Sykes to the purple tree? Well, John Sykes was in white snake. What else was he? What what else do? Who else did he play with? He played with Thin Lizzy, and he played with the Tigers of Pantang. I love all this. He played with Blue Murder. Uh, yeah. Guess who was the drummer in Blue Murder? Carmine Apiece. Who was the bass player in Blue Murder? Tony Franklin. Tony Franklin was in a band with uh, Paul Rogers, Jimmy The Firm. Yeah. Yeah. Who was who was the drummer? Chris Slade. ACDC. Yep. On the on the purple tree. Okay. John Sykes, you said Carmine Apice. Carmine goes by Apice. Vinny, Vinny Apice played on Mob Rules. Yep. That's right. And he played on the Dio solo records. Well, yeah, but I went I went further back. Yeah. He played Mob Rules. Right. Yeah. So there's Tony Iommi standing right next to Carmine, <laughs> standing next to uh, Tony Franklin and Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers from Bad Company and Free. Yeah. You see what I just did? I just like threw in a whole, I just do a bomb into the room. Yeah. And somehow you could find a thread that leads back. One way well, or another. To this is the reason. This is the reason I wanted to do the show because it's really a mangled web that no one can really understand. Yeah. But if they did, <clears throat> if they just went through their record collection and found out who each person really is. Yeah. Instead of just go, I don't like that song and move on. You know, like my attention span is dead, and they admit that their attention span is dead. You're off the hook. 
Yeah. But if you're a serious nerd about your record collection and songs you like and and it has anything to do with heavy metal or hard rock, trust me, trust this two-hour-long episode <laughs> that it's dedicated to the idea that some way, somehow, there is a thread all the leading back to the deep purple spectrum. Yeah. I think you, you know, you could do this with any band and it would go so far, but I'm hard pressed to think of another band where the branches are so far reaching. And like I said, uh, I don't even think we've captured everybody involved, but we did our best in a two hour episode. I hope you guys ordered a pizza and made a cup of coffee. I have a, I have one more for you, and I'm. I apologize. I know you're. We're trying to get out of here a little bit. We're not running for the door, but what hap- What did the world do before Deep Purple? Well, you know, if you were looking for heavy music, you were listening to Cream and Vanilla Fudge and Jimmy yeah. Hendrix and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, who, it was who out was in there. Vanilla Fudge. Carmine Peace. Boom. Yeah. Trapeze. What do you think of when you think of trapeze? Well, based on today's episode, I think of Glenn Hughes and I think of Dave Holland from Judas Priest. Yeah. See what I mean? So this is just prior to Deep Purple. So there's <clears throat> those could be seeds, right? Yeah. And then and then what we're talking about started yeah. blossoming. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah. I really love the episode, Dave, and I'm glad that you came around i feel like i had to pull a little little bit of teeth yeah i I, i'll admit i'll admit it was a little daunting because like i said earlier uh i'm much more knowledgeable about led zeppelin and black sabbath when it comes to the three bands that uh, i consider the founding fathers of heavy metal shame on me for not um being a little more well versed in deep purple i know all the obvious stuff but i'm i don't know the the granular details like I do with Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin. I'm I'm guilty of the same. It's not something that uh, I want you or I to be completely bummed about because earlier in this episode, which was, you know, let's see, two hours ago. Yesterday. Uh, yeah. We, uh, we mentioned that, you know, disclaimers, that we're not the biggest Deep Purple uh, archivists in yeah. the room. Uh, so... You know, anyone who wants to chime in and correct us, we welcome that. Uh, subscribe and hit like and comment and tell us how dumb we are about Deep Purple. All you want, because that's what this show is all about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we could say that about every episode, you know, to be perfectly honest. What, how dumb we are? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, kinda, I mean, you know, Wayne's World, <laughs> Beefs and Butthead, and that metal show all rolled into one. Yeah, I mean, we do this show for the fun of it and for the conversation, uh, but we've never claimed to be the be-all, end-all authority on everything we talk about. So we're going to miss some things, we're going to get some facts wrong, and we don't mind being corrected one bit, so please join the conversation and, and do so, you know. Um, and let us know what you think about Deep Purple and uh, whoever we covered or missed uh, today on this episode, uh, because I'm, I'm really eager to hear who we might have missed because I feel like we talked about a lot of people, but that is the deep, uh, the deep, deep purple family tree is, is huge. So no way we're going to catch them all. 
but we tried, and it was fun. So with that, I think we did good. Let's move on to our shot of rock and roll. Jason, my shot of rock and roll for you today. Uh, this is coming from a listener or a viewer, actually, on YouTube. Somebody left a comment. I want to say it's uh, Leon Greiner. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. He goes by Danny on YouTube and Leon on one of our other platforms. The guy needs to go by one name so I can get him straight, but he knows who he is. Anyway, he said he wanted to know if we remember the very first rock and roll eight-track tape you ever had as a kid. Do you remember eight-track tapes? My first car had an eight-track player in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> a little silver Subaru um that was a hand-me-down car belonged to my uh, one of my older brothers i had an eight track player in it so i was i was all about it um i mean i grew up on vinyl this is pre-cassette world i'm yeah. in, like 16 17 years old driving this subaru <clears throat> which was probably a late 70s model. And um, I don't remember my first eight track that I that I bought, but I do remember a lot of things about the eight tracks because I, I accumulated quite a few of them. I had this general electric portable eight track player. It was like a little boom box, you know, about as big as a lunch box. I remember. And it was black and gray. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. And, and it pl and you would punch the the tapes into the side jack of it. Yeah. And um it would record. It had a radio built into it. So at the time, I thought it was a super cool program. And I think it was put on by Westwood One, which is a, a broadcasting company, I believe. Um, uh, they, they did a show called uh, The King Biscuit Flower Hour. Yes. And The King Biscuit Flower Hour would have anyone who was on tour that they could pull up their uh, remote recording studio, which is basically a studio inside of a truck. Right. And back it up to the venue and run audio snakes in and tap into the board and they would record it and mix it. Yeah. And uh, the toys got to do one for Westwood One in 89. And ended up being uh, the first seven or eight songs on a live album that we put out. Anyway, <clears throat> I would I would record on this eight track portable eight track player i would record the king biscuit flower hour stuff or yeah. just whatever you know and i could i could listen to them in the car yeah yeah so i had my favorite my favorite uh tape that i that i had made um i think i tried to record my kiss records and just so i could listen to them you know from vinyl right. i tried to because i because i had some of my stereos were they weren't components. They were like an all-in-one with a record player on top with an eight-track player in there with a record button 
and yep. you could record your vinyl onto eight track. And I was anyway. But my favorite one, I had Saxon and UFO from the King Biscuit Flower Hour from the same show. They were on the same the same show back to back. Wow. That was my favorite uh, eight track that I recorded off King Biscuit that I would listen to in my silver Subaru. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yep. I, uh, I'll, I'll mention my first eight track. I remember my, my dad was into music. He was into country music and his sister, my aunt, uh, thought she was going to, for his birthday, she brought him an eight track tape that he thought he would enjoy. And it was Jim Croce. And I think that she, she saw, she saw Jim Croce on TV and saw an acoustic guitar and she assumed he's country. My dad will like it. So she brought him a, a greatest hits, uh, eight track Jim Croce's greatest hits. And my dad got it. And for my dad, it was a little too folky and hippie. It wasn't country because it's not, you know, Oh, it's not twangy Uh, at all. Right. But she didn't know. She, she thought, you know, acoustic guitar guy sitting on a, on a bar stool, it's country, right? Right. So, I mean, John Denver is only country because because he says, he, the, "Right, thank thank God, I'm a country boy." Yeah, exactly. He's telling you that he's country, but he's almost writing these poppy, folky, hippie, right. happy love songs. You know, sunshine on my shoulder, and yeah. he's writing like the credits are rolling in a movie in the '70s, and you hear yeah. sunshine on my shoulder. Yeah, that's not really country either. So that's my, not your sister's fault at all. No, it was my it was my aunt's fault. Uh, oh, not aunt, fault, but my aunt bought she bought the eight track, gave it to my dad for a birthday present, Christmas present or something, thinking it was something he would like. He felt it was a little too hippie, not quite his thing, because he was into George Jones and Merle Haggard and Jim Croce is not those guys at all. But I heard it and I thought, This is cool, man. I really liked it. I liked it a lot. So I sort of inherited it. Uh, my dad wasn't going to listen to it, so I listened to it all the time. But the first one that I remember owning that I chose myself, the first eight track, was Leonard Skinner's Street Survivors. And I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. Uh, at the time that I got it, it was the it was the cover with the band members surrounded by flames. And of course, after the plane crash, they pulled that cover and replaced it with just the same shot of the band members, but minus the flames. So I wish I still had the eight track, uh, just for collectible, you know, for the sake of collectability. But anyway, my, my, my eight track recollection is first Jim Croce. that was kind of a hand me down from my dad. And then my first was street survivors by Leonard Skinner. Very, very cool. There you go. Very cool. Um, it wasn't a great medium because, um, unfortunately if the songs were lengthy, uh, you know, the song would fade out and then you would hear this like, you know, (laughs) clunk, you know, and it would, the same song would fade back in where around where it left off. And the, they had to do that because it, there was only like a few minutes per channel the way that they could the tape would flip or something inside the player yeah and um it's not 
yeah, that's terrible. You're rocking out to your friend. I wanna party every. You know, you're just like, what? The party's over for you know those few seconds. That's not good. Real quick on the subject of eight tracks, do you know who has a car to this day and is and is super proud of the car? The car is like an old. I'm gonna say it's an early '70s family-sized station wagon with wood grain panels that run down the side. This thing is straight out of the Partridge family. And it has eight-track eight track tape player in the dashboard, and he is proud of it. And you know who I'm talking about? I don't. Tracy Guns. That is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> if you follow him on Instagram or whatever, every once in a while he posts a, a photo and he'll have like, uh, Kiss Love Gun or Aerosmith Rocks and it's always on 8-track and he's putting it into his car stereo and he drives this big lead sled beast around town with his 8-track blasting and he loves his 8-track car. Gas guzzling 8-track listening to Tracy Guns. Totally. I think that's I, awesome. I love that dude even more now. Yeah, right? Just when, you thought you couldn't, just when you thought you couldn't love Tracy anymore. There you, well, it, apparently he and I, I think, have the same birthday. And no, no, I no, that's not true. Uh, it's it's a Jizzy Pearl that I think he and I have the same birthday. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. But yeah. uh, Tracy um, is on the Deep Purple full spectrum. <laughs> via Phil Lewis. Via Phil Lewis. Via Bernie Torme. Via Ian Gillen. Mm-hmm. Hey, and, did I get and, that right? And he was in a he was in that contraband group with uh, Michael Schenker and um, guy from Shark Island and uh, Bobby Blotzer and the girl Sharon, from Sharon from Vixen yeah yeah so they're all they're all, they're all on the on the tree too I actually saw that band live in San Antonio oh cool. All right, before I end up on the deep purple family tree, not that it would be a bad thing, but uh, <laughs> if we keep peeling back the layers, I'm going to find out I was once a roadie or something like that. But um, this has been fun, man. This was a good one. Uh, the deep purple family tree and the reaches uh, just goes on and on and on forever. So uh, we'll call it quits at, on this one. And uh, again, uh, if you have any deep purple stories or mentions or people we forgot please leave us a message and leave us a comment or whatever um if you're interested in any of the albums that we mentioned today uh take a look in our affiliate uh links in the bottom of the youtube description uh we'll offer up a few things where you can uh go shop for some of the albums that were mentioned today uh in the meantime I'm Metal Dave Glessner. This is my co-host, Jason McMaster. We invite you to visit the Talk Louder podcast for your swag and merch. TalkLouderPodcast.com. 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 And on that note, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. 